0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Innovators Anonymous podcast. Super glad to have you guys here for the third episode. Today's super exciting. Uh, We have today as our guest, uh, he's not only a teacher, not only a husband, a father, a coach, but all around great guy. Uh, Super excited to finally have him on the podcast. Uh, Kevin Haney, uh, how you been, man? Great talking to you.
1: I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is pretty exciting, and uh, you know, any opportunity that I get to talk to you is
0: always pretty special. It's definitely awesome. Uh, I remember my sophomore year is when I first took your your public speaking class, and it was so great. I was strongly considering coming back my senior year. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that that's had a huge impact on, on me. I mean, what kind of got you into? whether it be teaching or English or just kind of public speaking. I mean, love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, First of all, thank you. I I appreciate the compliment. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I've listened for years to um, either aspiring teachers or those that are already, uh, you know, involved in the craft, you know, and and they have these wonderful stories. My my story is not so wonderful, uh, what essentially got me involved. Uh, I was on the path as, um, as a college student to becoming someone in marketing and advertising. And, uh, I had a, a major tragedy when I was a sophomore in college, uh, lost a buddy of mine. I was uh, killed, uh, due to gun violence, unfortunately, wrong place, wrong time. And, uh, I turned inwardly into into writing, reading, uh, you know, I didn't want to do the thing where I was kind of sitting on that Freudian couch and telling a stranger my problems, which by the way, in hindsight, I should have done that because that's it's it's t- tremendous what psychologists and psychiatrists can do for people. Mm-hmm. But for me, at the time, I was just so lost, and um, I remember giving a speech in a class uh, during one of my advertising three hundred level advertising <sighs> courses, and the professor said to me, you're in the you're in the wrong field, my friend. He said, you have the, he called it the it factor. He said, you have the it factor and you need to be teaching young people. So um, flash forward, you know, I, I'm a, about two, three years into Strathaven and um, the principal came up to me and said, we don't have a communications department. We don't have a public speaking course. Would you be interested in kind of, you know, laying the framework for getting one? And uh, I was nervous. But it was exciting at the same time because I was given so much autonomy to create my own curriculum, yeah. and uh, that was back in 2004. And I'm
0: still still teaching that course to this day. Yeah, that was an an awesome course because it was unlike any one that I had really taken before. Like I know that there there's obviously a, a tremendous amount of different teachers that are just really fantastic in Strathaven, which is awesome. Like it, it, there's just so many, I saw the recent report that it's another, I think we're it's top 500 in the country and then top 10 again in the state. Yes, just sir. like once again, just showing dominance. Uh, it's, yeah. It was just, su- just super, super awesome for me uh, to be able to see uh, all that. Um, I mean, how is it, how is it like teaching that course right now with, you know, the the pandemic that we have? I mean, they're not. You don't have students in the classroom, so it's a little bit more difficult. I'm sure. Like, right. what does that course look for you right now?
1: So I had so much anxiety when I first found out that we would be out for the entire year. When they first told us that we were going to be out for two weeks, that was easy to plan for. That was an opportunity for students to polish up some of their other speeches, uh, to prep for some new ones. So that was what I did for those two weeks. But then when Governor Wolf came out and said, "We're you know we're done for the year." Uh, I was calling administrators, I was calling old mentors of mine from college, uh, some colleagues that I trust. And, you know, because nobody else teaches the class, like, what, what would you do if you if you had this incredible course, and you were, you know, kind of in this situation that I'm in, what would you do? And interestingly enough, nobody really had sound advice for me. And uh, I kind of just had to figure out what would be the best course of action. So what we're doing at this point uh, thankfully you know we have the opportunity to connect through technology uh, students are creating speeches and they're sending them record it and we get an opportunity to evaluate them that way so it's not live which is unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know that's a whole part of the process is having an audience right there in front of you so they're sending their speeches We're, we have the opportunity to still evaluate and critique them using the same rubric that we've always used and um so far, it's been going pretty well. As a matter of fact, I just had them work on. They just gave me the rough draft today of the 2020 commencement address. Nice. Uh, yeah, I wanted them. This has been a, an exceptionally difficult year, not just for our seniors, but for our entire student body. Uh, we had we had a tough oh boy. We had a tough eight months. And um,
0: oh yeah I, I no, yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah, yeah. From from October, the tragedy in October, all the way through uh, whooping cough and losing a principal, and and now of course COVID. These seniors had a lot to say, and interestingly enough, the speeches, which I totally expected, they're not the, your traditional kind of glowing, let's go off and change the world kind of speech. It's, what do we do next? Now that the world has shown us its backside in, in a real way at 17 and 18 years old, like what, what do we do now? So it was, the, the, the speeches were, they were real, they were honest, they were very organic um, and emotional, so I, I give them a lot of credit for for hanging in there as best they can. I can't imagine what it's like to be 17 and 18 and have to experience this.
0: Yeah, it seems like everything really just came out of out of nowhere, almost like there wasn't very much preparation for everything. At least that's happened to to Strathaven, as as I see it from from an outsider. Uh, I mean, as you being a, a positive voice in the hallways, in the classrooms. Uh, what have you noticed um, the student body been doing or what have you been doing to kind of, you know, make sure that students have a positive attitude towards what's going on, whether it be academics, athletics or just, you know, personally? Like what type of things have you you've been doing or seen other students been, you know, kind of you know rallying around? Sure, sure.
1: You know, I, I think that there's a number of things they've been doing. Um, you know, first and foremost, is that they still need the same kind of emotional outlets and mentors that they can find all throughout the halls at Strathaven and all those classrooms, uh, Mm -hmm. everywhere from their coaches to their teachers, their band director, everybody. And, uh, I actually, before we left thinking that this may be an extended absence for all of us, I actually gave them my cell phone number and, uh, I told them, I said, listen, this, this isn't about school. This isn't about, you know, what, what did we have to read tonight? Or, you know, can I include this in my essay? I told them, I said, I'm giving you my cell number. Because there's going to be a moment where each and every one of you is going to have some sort of you know, cathartic breakdown. And it's not always easy to just talk to your parents and guardians. You know, I remember what it was like to be a teenager. And as much as I you know, revered my parents, they weren't the first people I would go to. I would go to my teachers. I would go to my coaches. And uh, I wanted to do the same thing for them that so many people did for me when I was uh, a young guy coming through the educational and adult system, if you will. So they've been, they've been taking advantage of it, you know, uh, in in all the right ways. Uh, Kids will send me text messages, call me. Uh, Sometimes it's a five minute check-in. I was on the phone last night for about an hour with a student who uh, Mm -hmm. just lost a friend who was, uh, who was shot in Chester, unfortunately. And um, you know, just to, Hopefully, I I don't feel like I did I did a whole lot for him, but hopefully, just having somebody on the other end that's willing to listen was enough. So you know that's that's one thing. The other thing is I try to use social media to uh, to my advantage as far as connecting the kids. Great Twitter
0: account, great Twitter. account. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you <laughs> yeah, so yeah.
0: much. <laughs> always always have always have good stuff. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I enjoy uh, you know mixing it up with uh, former and uh, and current students and and, and different <laughs> people in the community. It's always fun, but. Uh, I like to send some inspirational stuff through there. You never know who's just kind of scrolling through and, and needs a little quote, needs a little story or a picture of something that just may make their day a little bit better. Um, and I encourage them to spend more time with their families, which is, you know, the great irony. You would think that they they are because they're quarantined. But, you know, sometimes quarantine means you're in your bedroom while this person's in their bedroom and this person's in the basement. Now I told them, you know, put put the phones down, put put the gaming systems down. Like those things are fine; they're all well and good. But you know, watch a movie with with your mom and dad. You know, sit there and and talk. Uh, you know, for me, I lost my father, and I don't have that ability anymore. My, my dad was my best friend, and I can't talk to him anymore. So, I I tell the students it's more or less a cautionary tale. These amazing people who are in your lives—they're not going to be here forever. So, it, it, you got to find the silver lining in this, and that silver lining has to be spending this extra time in in a, in a quality type manner
0: yeah uh i i definitely couldn't agree with that more uh i had a, a similar situation when i was younger um lost my my cousin uh cousin best friend to to violence uh um, not gun violence, uh, knife violence, but oh my gosh, it was uh, yeah, it was. That was when I was what five or six years old, so so real young and really showed me pretty quickly like what it is that <laughs> the world is gonna be. It's like, hey, yeah, bad things happen to good people, and yep. you don't know when it's gonna happen, so you need to cherish the moments that you have because those. While I had very, I have a very limited amount of memories for him, um. It's, those are some of the most powerful ones that I have. Like I, his number. He went to Upper derby His his number was twenty eight on the basketball court. So everything that I have, I'm always trying to be number twenty eight or something like that. And so you know, <laughs> it's, it's like people don't realize like those legacies that live on to you know throughout the, those family members. I mean, I think right now is going to show people even more like how close and how important family and, and friendships really are. Oh, absolutely.
1: And if I'm not mistaken. I think you were brave enough to share that story in public speaking. I, I, I think I vaguely remember you talking about that. Um,
0: yeah, that it, was, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, your, your class got me to open up about it. That was the first time I'd, I'd never really felt comfortable. But then I remember we had, um what was, oh, what was the, the top? I remember because we did it in the auditorium.
1: Uh, the old that was the only,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I remember we did it there and like, just, it, just the, the way that the class was and just, um, I don't know, I just felt comfortable with it. But yeah, I, that's completely right. Completely yeah, right.
1: yeah. And, and, you know, those are the things that, you know, obviously nobody wants to experience that stuff. But, you know, if, if I if I look at the path that got me to the place I'm in right now, which, you know, we're all work in progress, every single one of us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I can look at, obviously, you know, mark the joys that have happened and my kids and my wife and everything and, and, you know, getting a job at Haven and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Um, but you know, some of the, 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 really dark and difficult things I've had to endure really set the stage for what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and how I respond to whatever the world throws at me at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the one thing that that's just so interesting and you, you see it with pretty much everyone that is a celebrity or successful person is that almost all of them have gone through some type of hardship.
1: For like, sure. Yeah, Whether
0: it's uh, my favorite basketball player, LeBron James. Uh, going, oh, here, we through, here we go. Here we go. Having a, a single parent household or whether it's, you know, yeah. uh, somebody, I mean, you see the stories in NFL draft. That's like their favorite thing, which is, I mean, that's another story. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If they all got go through hardships and I think those hardships make, you can, you can learn from them. You can become a a better person because of those things.
1: Yeah. And not only, you know, is, do you have an opportunity to learn from, I think you have a responsibility
0: to learn from. Yes. You really do. Yep. Yeah. So it's, I think those things are super powerful, especially through sport. I mean, I know one thing that I really wanted to you know to ask uh, ask you about is, I mean, you had a, a long run uh, with volleyball, Haven Strath Haven volleyball team, yeah. where it seems like you guys were just pumping out the best volleyball players in the state year after year. I think it was what three or four years of having the uh, Delaware County Player of the Year, something like that.
1: Four straight like, years. Yeah, we were. Four lucky. straight years. Yeah.
0: Like what? Like so? What was it? How, how does that happen? Like, what's it like with having these dominant athletes in a, a very small, relatively public school? Like, how do you guys get that talent developed?
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. It was uh, it was quite a long process. When I first took the volleyball job in two thousand and one, um, you know, I was you know, my heart was in in basketball, but when yeah. I was interviewing for the teaching job in 01, they uh, they asked. They said, "You you know, we saw that you were a former college volleyball player. Would you be interested in coaching?" And my, I really didn't, <laughs> but I wanted to teach there so badly. Yeah. So of course I said yes. And the first couple of years, I mean, it was a volleyball program that no one was paying attention to. It was a coaching carousel in and out, one year coaches, and um, we. I, I got to about the three year mark, and I think my total record after three years was an abysmal, like six and 50 something. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And I started to look at, you know, my success as an athlete, as a college basketball player, as a college volleyball player, what made us successful? And, you know, you have to build a culture first. And one of the things we did was we started going down to the uh, elementary schools, the middle school, the local Catholic schools, and we started teaching them the game At a young age, and we taught them not just how to play it, but the real love and joy that it brings into people's lives. And, uh, started teaching these young kids at ages five and six and seven years old, you know, how to play. And their older sisters were paying attention and they kind of wanted to get involved and get on board. So it took a few years, but we started training them at, at a young age. And by the time they hit the like latter stages of middle school, they were destroying the teams that they were playing at the middle school age. So it was working. Um, what we had to do, that transition, however, from eighth grade into ninth grade, that's an exceptional athletic jump because mm-hmm. the seasons are longer, the practices um, are a little bit more intense. Uh, you're, you're playing against, you know, other kids that are 17 and 18 years old, adults. So yeah. it, it, it forces you to, to really up your game very, very quickly. So we started to take those young kids – the first crew that came through that I worked with as, as young girls and we threw them kind of right to the fire and they responded well. And we kept doing it over and over again. And I took away the notion that because you're, I never believed that starting on a team was a rite of passage. I always believed that the best players play. So these young kids just took the reins and when they got older, the feeder system was already put in place so by the time they were juniors and seniors their younger friends younger sisters they were already in the pipeline so you know we we turned it around i think uh, off the top of my head there was a 8 year window where we were somewhere in the range of uh like 130 and 16 like we just couldn't lose mm-hmm. um and it it really just came down to you, you can't just focus on the four-year window the kids are in the building with you. You have to start them at such a young age if you really want to build a program, and you got to get the community involved. You, you got to have you know I ran free clinics forever at the local swim clubs. I uh, I talked to parents incessantly about scholarship money that was available that a lot of people didn't know about because a lot of the girls in our community gravitated towards soccer, and and soccer is a terrific sport and lacrosse as well. Um, but there were so many other opportunities for female athletes to, to you know, to get free educations through volleyball, and uh, we were able to get so many girls division one and division two scholarships throughout throughout my time there.
0: Yeah, I I remembered like because I guess that yeah, you were really in the heat of it. My my salt like my four years were those that that four year stretch where it was just everything was dominant. I remember. Uh, I mean, we had the I had the class with Sheree right when she was. <laughs> You know, winning what back-to-back players yeah. of the year, just having just dominant athletes. I mean, like, what were what's like one of the success stories that kind of sticks out in your mind from from those years? You know, coaching some of the the best athletes in the state.
1: Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, uh, let's see. You know, my my favorite part of coaching, especially when we became really successful, was watching them celebrate. One another's successes, like that was that was it for me. Um, I watched for years other coaches win championships with their players, and they rush the floor with the kids. They're in the spotlight, the cameras on them. The, the you know, and every time we won a championship, um, and I was questioned about this by the paper, and and you know they did a nice little piece on it, which was cool. Uh, I would I would when I knew we were at game point or championship point, I would mm-hmm. take a knee down by the end of the court because I knew we were about to win and seeing those girls celebrate just pure joy, jumping around, tackling one another, that big pile, you know, when you see teams win championships, it was so fulfilling to watch that. Uh, You know, the girls from the bench, you know, rushing the court and just all celebrating. And I would just wait until it was over. I felt like here I'm. Here I am in a shirt and tie. I didn't hit one ball. I didn't serve one ball. I didn't dig one ball. Uh, I don't get to celebrate anything. They, yeah. they did all the hard work. They had to endure me in practices. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if if I can collectively put that into one, just watching them celebrate one another's success and and seeing their faces after victories, especially after those those championships that we were able to win, there was just nothing better than that.
0: Yeah, those those moments going back being an athlete were, were some of my my greatest ones, you know, being you know, celebrating with the team after after huge wins, or even if it was looking back at a game or a, a meet after a, a bad loss, like just being with the, the teammates for that was huge. Uh, I, I know that you're. While you have moved on from the volleyball role, you've definitely, um, you know, re-entered the sports uh, atmosphere with the the basketball team. I saw you guys had a pretty solid run. I mean, yeah. how the, the guys look uh, this year, um, like, um, yeah, and how how is it to get back into your the sport that you love so much? Well, you know, it was it was a
1: long process and uh, a rather twisted one because I, I used to coach basketball at Haven when I first started. You know, this was, uh, you know, pre-marriage, pre-kids, all that stuff. And um, the principal called me in uh, a little over a year ago, about this time last year. And he asked me if I wanted to, um, he hired a young kid um, uh, about your age, you know, uh, 27, 28 years old. And uh, he said, would you mind, you know, kind of mentoring him and being involved in the program? And my first my re- first reaction was uh, an unequivocal no. Um, I, I, I wanted to, but I just didn't think I had the time. I'm also general manager of Swarthmore Swim Club, so like, my, my time is, is, is spread. And uh, yeah. he said, well, I'll tell you what. This was on a Friday. He said, can you go home and think about it? So I did and um, came back, talked to my wife. And I said, you know, I, I want to do this, um, you know, with, with some, some stipulations. And uh, we talked about it. We hashed everything out. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was one of the best decisions I've made so far as a Haven staff member. I I absolutely loved getting back involved in the game, you know, especially as an assistant coach, because it gave me the opportunity to not have to worry about all that red tape that head coaches have to deal with. All I had to focus on were the kids and the X's and O's. And, and that's really what I love to do, you know, sending out the emails. Uh, you know, responding to parents after games, uh, you know, answering phone calls, talking to the newspaper, you know, a lot of that can be fun, but it also wears on you a little bit. So, uh, just being able to enjoy the game, the kids, and and again, much like I said about volleyball, celebrate the success that they had this year. You know, this was a team that won three games last year. They got rid of their entire coaching staff, brought a whole new staff in, and. You know, we won 18 games. We, we made it deep into districts. We made, we made it into states, which we haven't done in 11 years. Uh, so it was, it was so much fun. And I, I feel bad because, you know, this is the time of year where you're really building for next season. Yeah. And a lot of the guys are texting me, especially because I do strength and conditioning with them. You know, what, what can I do at home? How can I get stronger? How can I get faster? And it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge, but we have the core of our team coming back next year. So we have a chance That's to be pretty hard to beat next year.
0: That's great. Yeah. I, I know that the, the team's had its its ups and downs for sure over the past uh, five, five, six years. And I know there's been some real high points and some, some learning points. So sure. it's awesome to hear that, you know, guys are starting to, to get back at it. Um, I was looking at some, some article today, I guess it was from the end of December saying, that, that Haven has like the second most players of the year in the entire of all Delco- Delaware County in, the, in the, the 2010. So there's, there's definitely been a lot of, of talent here.
1: Yeah. You know what? super interesting too. When you're, when you're coaching in a school that has boundaries, it is exceptionally difficult to have the same kind of talent as some of the schools that play without boundaries. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, you know again you you can't do it without the community so i'm i'm grateful that this community you know celebrates sports celebrates our young student athletes and and gives them opportunities to be successful because you know to to be a strong academically inclined kid is one thing and that's really important no doubt but you got to be well rounded you know I, I don't care if you if you pick up a basketball uh, or a violin you know get involved in something else it's it's so important in our community has been wonderful about supporting kids and all their extracurricular and athletic um, opportunities.
0: Yeah, I, I think that we've seen that with a lot of the students that have gone on to be really successful, whether it is academically or especially athletically. I mean, I can think off the top of my head, just three or four Haven alumni that are either competing professionally or are on the road to compete professionally, which is not a, a normal thing for a school of our size. So to, to be able to see to see that happen has been has been truly awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's so yeah. much
0: fun. I just talked to a kid
1: today, as a matter of fact, that uh, he wants to play in the NBA. He's a junior at Penn State and uh, Big Johnny. I, I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I
0: remember Johnny, yeah.
1: So he and I talked today. Uh, you know, he he had a great year. Uh, unfortunately, he got cut short. They were one of the, the sleeper picks to win the NCAA tournament this year. and uh, oh, yeah. And John, you know, lost, you know, something that could have been pretty special. But he, he wants to play in the league or, or go to Europe. He, he wants to continue his playing days.
0: Yeah, I I remember um, he was really starting to I, – I, if I remember correctly, it was a little bit of a late bloomer where he, yeah. was, really, he was really coming in like when – like right after I had left, I know he had started football, was dominant there, thinking about doing some football stuff and then eventually found, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really good at this basketball thing. Let's make a – make a career of it so yeah it's been great seeing his uh his story from afar and how so much fun basketball
1: absolutely been so much fun it's a real treat yep
0: yeah well uh speaking on basketball I mean I know you're a big Michael Jordan fan I mean how have you enjoyed the uh the documentary that's been going on the past few weeks uh what are your thoughts uh on all that
1: I'll tell you, I base my whole Sunday around this documentary. I absolutely, you know, I feel like I'm 43 years old and I feel like a little kid again watching one of my childhood heroes on TV. It's just, it's been so much fun. And and the debates, you know, with Jordan LeBron, they've been a lot of fun as well. Um, But getting the chance to watch, The the other side of the game, like seeing the real intimate details, the business side of it that goes into it, that that has been really eye opening because it's, you know, it's one thing to step on the floor and just be a great player or be a great teammate or be a professional player. It's another thing to buy into an entire organization or struggle for that matter with the organization and to see the real intimate side of this and to know that even though, you know, you have success winning championships comes with a lot of baggage
0: and oh, yeah.
1: it really does sometimes and I've been on both sides of this and I hope this comes off tactfully sometimes it's so much easier to be in rebuilding than it is to be in championship mode because the stress the added stress and pressure of being great every single night is exhausting and mm-hmm. one of the things that I think the documentary did a great job has done of, of uh, you know really highlighted is the exhaustion of Michael Jordan and what it really took for him to become what many consider to be the greatest of all time? So, it, man, it, it, Colin, it's been so much fun. Uh, I've been rewatching it, uh, and and I can't wait for next Sunday already.
0: Oh yeah, I I remember seeing my favorite part of the the documentary when you're talking on. Hey, the it's hard to be great. Like it's not not only physically, but you know what you have to do. You know, day in and day out was when he said. Every single time that he comes into the arena, there is a kid that is watching me, and this is his first time watching Michael Jordan play, and yep. I have to make sure it is special for that kid. Yeah, and I was just like, exactly. Like he he never took a game off, and that is something I can definitely appreciate uh, from him. Even though I'm on the other side of the argument, I think that <laughs> his, his work ethic was 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 top notch for sure. Well,
1: I'll tell you, you know, two things. One. I used to go back to volleyball, and I even did it with our guys with basketball this year as well. Uh, I use that in coaching, and I I tell them almost word for word exactly that. I tell them to say, listen, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, it could be during a timeout. It could be in a pregame, but I tell them, I said, some little boy or some little girl is in the stand, going to be in the stands today, and all they want in this life is to be you. And I don't know who that is, which one of you that is. I have no clue, but it's somebody in this room, and chances are it's multiple somebodies. So yeah. from the moment you step on the floor for warm-ups to the moment you're shaking hands, you're on stage. You are on this great stage. And uh, when you're having a lot of success, it gets, it gets a little bit more difficult because you're taking everybody's best shot. You're everybody's red-letter date when you're a champion. So uh, I, I remember in volleyball, especially you when know, we won uh, four, uh, four of six titles over a six-year window, and I, I used to tell the girls, doesn't matter who we play. If the team is two and fifteen, or they're a five hundred team, they're giving you a championship effort because they will do anything to beat the champs. So to see Jordan have to do that for so many days, day in and day out, year after year, um, and, and, and you know it's it's exceptional. And, and to partly that into James, LeBron James, uh, yeah. I actually think he has more stress than Jordan ever did. I think more is expected of him in the age of social media, where everyone pays attention to everything, all the little idiosyncrasies, more so than we ever did in the 80s and 90s. I, I feel bad for LeBron. I, I feel like he's being asked to be a man, to be a player that no one else has been asked to be. And it's it's almost not fair to him. But uh, I will say this, you, if this guy plays, which it looks like a couple more years, I I have a feeling I'm going to have no choice but to say he's the greatest of all time.
0: Oh, he might have a <laughs> swinger. There we go. That's what I wanted. to ask. Hey, listen, he's going to win another championship. I mean, it's inevitable. He's he's. I feel won. that this year I thought really could have been his year. I mean, he was playing for for so many things this year. The team was looking great. Like I feel bad for him, like losing out on this championship. Or as of right now, who knows when the the comeback might be um, for the playoffs. I'm, I'm hoping that they get a shot to, you know, come out the playoffs this year to, to see what he can do. Cause he's yeah. he really looking great. He was looking like he was
1: 25 years old. He was, he was terrific. He was yeah. in great shape. And, uh, he, he was becoming, well, he not becoming, he is, he is that well-rounded player that does not just everything like, well, he, he's great at every part of the game now. And, yeah. At, at six eight, whatever he is, two hundred and sixty pounds. I mean, this this kid is is a phenom, and I always tell people that kind of hate on him that you're you're gonna miss him. I say the same thing about Tom Brady. When Tom Brady leaves football, as much as we struggle with him in this Philadelphia region, we're, yeah. gonna, we're gonna miss the guy. It's it's special to have greatness in front of you all the time, and when it gets taken from you you know it's it's kind of goes along with the whole fundamental flaw that we don't realize what we have until it's taken from us and i I, I really enjoy watching LeBron play. he's not Michael for me right now. I'm sorry, brother. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> but uh, I do you know he's certainly on my Mount Rushmore of the top four players of all time
0: as a matter of fact he's he's definitely a top three for me, yeah, we're talking about the mount rushmore like who who are you having on your your Mount Rushmore basketball uh current or last year just yeah sure. Time? Um, so, you know, collectively, if we're looking at everybody,
1: current and, um, and, and the older guys, you know, Jordan's my one. Uh, I, I You know, I have to put LeBron in there, obviously. I just said that. Uh, mm. it, it's hard for me not to put one of my old teammates, a two-year teammate of mine, Kobe Bryant, in that top yeah. four. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I got to see play with and against when he was 15 years old. And it was – I didn't really understand at the time what, what he was going to become. He was more of a rival of mine at that time. We're we're the same age, and um, watching him blossom into what he became, and of course, obviously, his tragic end has, has been a, has been difficult to swallow. But uh, he's number three for me, and um, number four. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do say this here that a lot of people really fight me on, but I I just have never seen with my own eyes somebody this dominant. Uh, here it is. You're probably going to hate me for this Go point. ahead. Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, I mean
0: <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal. It's – I can see it. Like, it's just like not – I wouldn't say it, but, I mean, <laughs> he was just like dominant and you, you literally could not push him around. I mean, would wow. I have him there? I might want to switch – like uh I think someone that fourth spot for me it might be I got to go another Philly native with Wilt Chamberlain Chamberlain I mean, North, the yeah. numbers he put up are insane Yep like 100 point games averaging like what what was it he like almost averaged 40 points like he's had some crazy numbers like but there was one season like, where he I think
1: he averaged 50 one season
0: Yeah 50 that's what yeah he averaged he, 50 like, he, I think he also had a I don't even. What is it? A penta double? Like he had five? Yes. Like, like, so like who does that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, he, he was a freak. And when people get into that argument, while he was playing against that competition, that competition was very. He was playing against Bill Russell. Who? Yeah. Bill Russell is. He's definitely in my. You could population. put him in there. There yeah. are people that have Russell at one of the the greatest of all time. Uh, for me, the, the 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 thing that puts O'Neal in in the Mount Rushmore for me was that it's something that a lot of people forget he was exceptionally fast for a big man. And it wasn't just the power. It was the speed and the footwork. Now, if you put – he's the only guy I would say if you put him in today's game, he would actually struggle because the NBA has a bad rule where they allow intentional fouls of the bigs. And Shaq was not a very good free-throw shooter. So – uh, to say, the least. <laughs> to say the least. Oh my God, he was dreadful. Put it lightly. <laughs> yeah. So I think he would have his struggles in this game because people would just foul him. Um, but with the rules the way they used to be and the way they used to call the game, um, they they didn't always kind of favor the little guys. Sometimes the bigs got a little bit more love. Uh, but then you get you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, there are so many names so many, you can right. put in there that, uh, and, and and we have if he stays with it. I mean, we have a few more kids in this league right now that that may overtake some of these old guys. You have uh, Luca, who looks incredible. You have uh, a kid out of L.A. Uh, Gosh, how can I forget his name? The Claw. Um, Kawhi. 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 You have Kawhi. Uh, Russell Westbrook might be the fastest human being I've ever seen with a basketball.
0: So explosive. So explosive. He treats treats the game like... Uh, that Jordan mentality where it's going to it's got to be some kid in the stands first time watching me I'm going to put on a show and, he's, and I respect he's that. He's such
1: a great that. competitor. He plays hard every single night. He never takes a playoff. He's always going full speed. So, you know, there's there's a lot that's going to change in the next 10-15 years when this crew of amazing basketball players when they're, you know, when they're wearing their gold jackets and they're, you know, enshrined into the Hall of Fame, we got to
0: have a new conversation. We're going to have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how even some of the guys on on, Phil- on Philadelphia are going to be doing, like, especially Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I think that Joel's kind of redefining that center yep. uh, instead of like, because he can hit, I, he might be the, one of the best free throw shooters on the team, which, I mean, if, if you said that yeah. to me 10 years ago, hey, your center is going to be the best free throw shooter on your team. Yeah. I'd be like, get out of here. I do not believe it. But. I'll
1: tell you you this too with, with Joe, you know, a a lot of people are upset with Joe. They get, you know, they get on him. One of the things that people tend to forget the vast majority of the quote unquote greats, they didn't win their titles when they were his age. They won them when, when they got older. So I'm, I'm patient with him. I'm not a trust the process guy. I I really hated that mantra, but I want to see, what he can do in three, four years. I want to see him continue to play with Ben. Uh, you know, obviously, we locked in Tobias. So, you know, I actually think that this core nucleus that we have, I think we're going to see two championships out of them. I really do.
0: Yeah, I think that we have a really great group of guys that have an opportunity when they string a couple games together to, you know, really win a whole lot of games. I mean, we've seen we've seen them, whether it is on the Christmas Day game, don't know if you watched that, oh, with yeah. uh, you know, taking down the Bucks. I mean, we've awesome. been able to go, yeah, we do great against the greats. And then when we've played, you know, it could be a, a game against the Magic, it might struggle a little bit. Yeah. So it's it's just weird how, how we've been playing
1: and I think, and I'm not, I'm not a Brett Brown hater, but I, I do have this criticism of him. And, and, you know, it's hard to compare, you know, people would laugh at me. I'm, you know, I'm a high school basketball coach. How am I going to compare myself to an NBA basketball coach? But I'm, I'm going to try. Um, one of the things I think is exceptionally important when you go on the road and you play a team that on paper is not as good as you, that's where coaching comes into play. That's, that's not talent. That's coaching. And it's not; it's it's beyond motivation. It has to be a systematic, step-by-step breakdown of the other team—a full scouting report. Uh, I, I saw a pregame, and this is where this is coming from. And of course, we don't get all the nuts and bolts of what happens in the locker room, but the camera was in there. They were at uh, down at Atlanta, and Brett Brown was talking, and all he said was, "Let's go out there and have some fun tonight." And like that—that's not enough. I mean, even though these guys are pro athletes. They still need motivation. They still need expectations. They still need scouting reports. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the one area where Brett has to kind of tighten it up a little bit. I think he needs to do a better job of getting the guys game ready on the road against teams that are sub five
0: hundred. Yeah, I think that's got to be one of the most difficult things on coaching. I mean, how do you tell a group of grown millionaires yeah. how to to act? I mean, right, <laughs> I mean, it's, right. It's hard enough. It's hard enough. Uh, I'm sure talking to coworkers and telling them, "Hey, can you fix the copier?" or Whatever. Like <laughs> now, imagine tell, now, imagine telling a, a six eight uh millionaire hey i need you to do this or yeah. i need you to play harder like that's got to be difficult
1: of i course. couldn't even imagine yeah, i couldn't imagine either and you know he's he's a guy that when you when you look at what he's done Brett Brown in his career i mean he he's been successful he was successful with San Antonio as an assistant coach uh, the guys loved and revered him there and when he came here i think that he tried to just carbon copy what popovich was doing and and that doesn't work everywhere so what he has to do is figure out in this new wave of kids that he has these these guys that are in their middle twenties. You know how can I get them championship ready every single night? It's easy when it's a Christmas Day game and you're playing Milwaukee. You know you don't have to say much. Uh, yeah. You know when you're going to Toronto when you're going to play the Lakers when you're going to play the old Golden State. You know a healthy Golden State. Uh, you know we always have a lot of success against those teams, but essentially he's got to just figure out with his staff it's not just on him that's why you hire a full staff how do we get these guys you know game ready when we're leaving the hotel and getting on that bus and going to play you know uh, again the hawks or you know whoever it may be uh, yeah. he's got to figure that out that's that is his achilles heel right now
0: yeah i think that being able to find out what to do uh when you know you get you can play down when you have the ability to not play as hard as you need to. Uh, Like that's, that's, that's hard to do, like to make sure that you're, you're still putting in all of your effort because at the end of the day, these are still professional athletes. Like it it doesn't like anyone can, anyone can go off and that's something you really got to focus on. Um, And well, I know that earlier, earlier you had mentioned you were, you got to even play basketball with one of the, one of the late greats, uh, Kobe Bryant. I mean, I know one thing that was interesting, my brother uh, was uh, around during the same similar time frame playing basketball against them as well. Um, But I wonder, like, what was it like for you to be with somebody that would eventually go down as one of the best basketball players of all time? Well, I'll tell you, it was
1: it was unbelievably special. At first, I I mentioned earlier, there was this rivalry between us. You know, I was this um, in 1993, 94, 95 you know, I was a six foot six, three point shooter at that time period. They didn't exist. Um, so Mm -hmm. I was, I was unique. I was this sniper shooting the ball from 20 feet away. I wasn't playing with my back to the basket. So I was getting a lot of attention from a lot of started with some local schools and then spread out a little bit. So, you know, I I was lucky enough to be on this all-star team or that, or be MVP of leagues and stuff. And, and then here's this kid that comes from Italy, uh, and, and he's, he's taken everyone's thunder. Um, so at first, (laughs) <laughs> we didn't like him very much. Uh, we, 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 were, we were upset with him. And the way he carried himself bothered us even more because we weren't mature enough to understand why he was carrying himself this way. It wasn't arrogance. Yeah. It was just pure, the most pure confidence I've ever seen in a human being and probably I'll never see again in another person. He not only wanted the ball, he demanded it. And he backed it up. You know, if, if I'll give you an example. We were, uh, this was one of my first experiences playing with him. It was an all-star game. So we always played against each other early on. Um, so it was an all-star game that we were invited to play in. I was starting, he was starting. And um, there was a, another pretty special NBA player that was on the floor, Rasheed Wallace. He was out there. And uh, uh, Wallace and I were talking. Uh, we were pretty much from the same neighborhood. So we were just kind of shooting a breeze. And Bryant walks up into the huddle. So I said he was the same age as us. He's actually a year younger than me, and R- Wallace was a year older than me, just to give you like, kind of a timeline there. Um, yeah. He walks up and says, guys, I'll tell you what. He goes, do your thing. And he looked at me. He said, Haney, you shoot, and I'll just dunk back everything you miss. <laughs> and I, I remember Wallace. I won't repeat what Wallace said right now, but Wallace tapped mm-hmm. me on the shoulder and said, who, who's this guy? And uh, he, obviously we all knew who he was, but um, mm-hmm. here's the crazy part. So we win the jump ball. Wallace tips it back to a guy by the name of Lynn Greer into the Planet Temple. Um, Lynn passes me the ball. I fire up the first shot right away. I mean, we're seconds in. I shoot a three. I miss. Bryant takes off and dunks the ball, grabs it off the rim. And Wallace and I look at each other to start laughing. Like, and that was the moment that I knew we're going to be watching this kid for a very, very long time. After, like, after I'm done playing this game, I'm still going to be watching him play the game. That was, uh-huh. that was the moment I knew I was in kind of that same stratosphere of greatness. And um, then I got a chance to play on a travel team with him for two years. Um, we didn't really travel much. We played a lot of Philly schools uh, or Philly yeah. uh, other all-star teams. But um, to see his work ethic, all the things that you hear about him on TV about, you know, it kind of it sounds cliche. First one in the gym, last one to leave. Colin literally that was him every practice, no matter what time you got there, he was already shooting foul shots, and then when you were done after like the coaches were you know would dismiss you, you get a couple shots at the end, mm-hmm. he was always the last one there i mean it was and it, it, every single time, so there is there's one thing to be great to to kind of have something in you that's just great, and I think you have to be born with a little bit of that um it's kind of genetics, but yeah you have to couple that with profound hard work and and that's exactly what he did and that's why he's he's a mount rushmore guy for me i mean if, you know obviously we know all the accolades awards and honors that he had in the nba but to see it up close for me when he was a teenager was just special and it's something that i'm lucky enough that i get to tell my own children about that that i shared a court with one of the greatest players to ever touch a ball
0: yeah he is just one of those guys that is insane when it comes to work ethic and what's important. I mean, you'll see these motor, you'll see these motivational videos on YouTube of like, Hey, whatever you want, like you got to go after it. Like, and you know, you know, all the, the cliche stuff that everything says and to see that he actually like lived that out in every sense of the word. Like I know what I want to do. I know what I have to do to get there and I'm going to do it. It's just like, it shows a testament of if you know what you want, go after it and you can be as great as you, as you want to be. I mean, like the world's your
1: oyster. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing is this, which I think is equally important that if you're someone that puts in all that time, all that effort, all that energy, and I'm not just talking about basketball, I'm talking about life. I'm talking about your profession, whatever it may be, being a dad, being a friend, a boyfriend, a husband, a girlfriend, a wife. If you every single day can look yourself in the mirror and say, I wasn't I wasn't my best today, but I did it all. I did everything that I could possibly do. There wasn't one more thing I could have done. I I think that's what separates the great ones from everybody else. And it's one of the things that I try to do as a man, as a teacher, as a coach, as a dad, that how can I give every little thing I can give? So for all like, you know, for young people out there that won't make the NBA, the NFL, the Olympics or whatever they're shooting for. As long as you can say, I did everything I could possibly do. There wasn't one more thing I could have done. To me, that's success. It really is.
0: Yeah. It's it's the relentless pursuit of perfection. Absolutely. It's, you got to, if you're not working hard to, to get to where it is you want to be, I mean, there's somebody else somewhere else that is probably doing it. So it's like, if you're okay with falling behind, then... All right, go ahead. But if you want to, you know, be the be the best student, you want to be the best uh, businessman, you want to be the best dad, father, wife, uh, girlfriend, whatever it is, like you got to work at it. You got to put in the hours, and if you do, uh, then you can be what it is that you want to be. And it's it's not easy because if it was easy, everyone would do it. exactly. You exactly. A whole bunch of millionaires everywhere. Yeah, and you can't be afraid of failure. You, yeah, you got to you
1: got to take some calculated risks. You know that's why having you know mentors in your in your life is so important because you got to bounce ideas off somebody. You have to have somebody willing to tell you um, take a shot at this or hey, listen, that's a little bit too much. That's a little excessive. Why don't we dial it back and get to here first? And I, I was lucky enough to have some pretty special people. In particular, I said it earlier, my father, who uh, I mean went above and beyond as a dad constantly to make sure that. I was being the best version of myself every single day.
0: Yeah. Who, like, I know that you're a, a big time mentor for a lot of the students at, at Strathaven. I mean, um, I I couldn't even think of the amount of people that wanted to, that probably want to have you as a, the commencement speaker. I'm sure almost every year you're getting a lot of, you're getting <laughs> a bunch of people wanting to do it. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, who are some of the mentors that you're looking up to? Cause I know that a lot of this, a lot of people are looking up to you. I mean, like, one of those the people that are you know had a big influence in your life uh, as well.
1: Yeah, definitely my father. You know, I mentioned that you know we lost him to brain cancer back in 2014. But um, yeah, he was a kind of guy. You know, even though I was well into my profession, he was still teaching me. I was still bouncing ideas off of him. You know, when I was going through some really difficult times, you know, he was the guy. And sometimes he didn't say anything. Sometimes he would just listen, and and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I needed. So definitely my dad. Uh, another person. Uh, my, my grandpa on my mother's side. Um, he was a professional athlete. He was a prisoner of war in world war II. Uh, he was involved heavily in politics in Philadelphia. I mean, he was, he was everything to me. And, uh, I'll never forget. It's one of my favorite stories to share about him. He was suffering with pancreatic cancer and, uh, he was at one of my college basketball games. He was healthy enough to get to, to a few of them. And, And there was one, we played Delaware. And, and I didn't have my best game. So uh, he came down. I was shooting shots. Uh, we had two days off. This was during uh, like winter break for school. So yeah. we got Christmas day off and the day after. So we had the 25, 25th and the 26th off before we flew out to Wisconsin. And uh, I'll never forget, he, he came down. It was It was dead of winter. It was freezing cold out. And he brought a jump rope down. He was a professional boxer. And he said, this was how I used to get faster. So, I'm, I'm at the court in the, in the middle of Southwest Philadelphia. My grandfather shows up and he's sick as a dog. I mean, he's got jaundice. His skin is yellow. He's weeks away from losing his battle and he's jumping rope in there in the middle of the playground. And then he throws it at me and he says, Shooting the ball is one thing. He goes, We all know you can shoot the ball. What we don't know is, can you defend future NBA players? And at first, I was so mad because you know what? One of the things that's important about mentors. Is that they have to create some discomfort in you, and mm-hmm. and and that's how you, that's where growth is. And so he was challenging me. I, you know, I thought you know I, I was already playing with guys who were in the NBA. Bryant was already well established in the NBA at this time. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, Rasheed Wallace was as well. Like you know, I've, I've I've rubbed elbows with a lot of NBA guys, but I wasn't good enough. And he was challenging me. He was creating that discomfort. So I took him up on it and I started three times a day. I started to do 40 minute sessions with the jump rope. Like, all right, let me, let me humor him. Um, Six months later, when uh, we were in our off season workouts, I was the fastest guy on the court. I mean, it really made that much of a difference. So that's only one small example of him leading me to, to the right places. And, um, you know, I'd be remiss right now if I didn't mention my mother. Um, Mm -hmm. She has been, she's really taken the reins. You know, I always had a great relationship with my mom. But she took the reins of what my dad gave me, and she's really run with it. So now she's my go-to. Anytime I have any kind of questions, concerns, when I'm sad, um, I still, at 43, I still call mom, you know, and she's she's been terrific. So uh, former coaches, I've, I've been lucky to have so many special coaches in my life, some that I didn't love, I'll be honest. But uh, mm-hmm. I've had some really good ones who've, who've led me to the right places, but um you know my my grandfather my mom and my dad um and and again my mom still to this day they just they, they've been my rock
0: yeah i've I've been been lucky enough to have you know some some really great mentors as well, and you know, especially great coaches. I mean, uh, I, I don't I don't think there's really anything better than having a, a great coach and a great teacher. Yeah. Uh, like, because uh, obviously, like everyone's family members, you're gonna have you're gonna have your great family members sure, that you're looking forward sure. to if you're lucky enough. I mean, obviously, that's not the case for everyone. but, right. You know, having that some that person that is on the outside where it's you meet them and you have to build that connection. It's not just blood. It's water. You got to build it. I think is something that's really special. That's brilliant because you can't, yeah. you're right. You you, you you have to choose
1: those people family. You don't get to choose them. They're just there. So yeah. being able to choose them is important. And, and I was lucky enough, much like you said, I had a special teacher in high school that really took me under his wing. His name was Bill McMack he was terrific. I still talk to him to this day. And, uh, you know, you have to, they're everywhere. Mentors are absolutely everywhere. You just have to be, you know, willing to take that first step to want their guidance. And sometimes wanting their guidance is listening to some difficult criticism.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the, the hardest things to digest are always the most uh, important things for you. I mean, no vegetables aren't good for a reason. Candy is yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier. It's, it's really easy to, you know, to skip out on vegetables or on Brussels sprouts and just eat candy all day. But you're not going to, you're not going to get stronger exactly. or faster or whatever because of it. Exactly. It's the hardest things are always the best ones. For yeah, no, no doubt. No question. And, yeah, I remember to go back to you know, with your, the story with your grandfather. I know I had my fav- one of my favorite stories is with my, just like the power of, uh, of family is going to my freshman year. We had a track meet in South Carolina. And so uh, this is my first time ever competing down there. And that's where my, my grandmother and my aunts, uncle, all of them, they, they all live there on my, on my dad's side. So this is my first track meet. Ever competing in front of them. So I'd been an athlete for what, my entire life. Yeah. And and so after 10, 15 years, this is the first time they get to see me compete and maybe the only one hey. uh, at the time. And so I, and the thing that sucked was I like something happened to my hip where I could barely walk. And that day I'm like, I, I can barely walk, let alone sprint and jump. <laughs> and oh my throw God. my body over a bar like what am i going to do so i i talked to my coach and i'm like hey coach like i i can't do it like i just can't compete my hip is just destroyed i can't even walk it's like well I guess you don't have to compete or something And like that's fine but then i see my grandmother uh who was like 80 86 87 at the time just wave wave at me in the background oh, boy. And i'm like yeah, we can do this. Like we're, we can. We're, I don't know how I'll do it, but we can figure it out. And he's like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "Yes, I got to try." And <laughs> yeah. miss, miss it on my first attempt. Miss it on my second attempt. I got one more chance to to make a make a bar, and you know, just barely skimp over it, and you know, hear the grandparents going crazy. I mean, just showed the power of like, hey, if you have a good support system behind you, and you yeah, know, you put your mind to it, you can really do anything.
1: That's, that's probably a, my
0: favorite story. That's
1: a great story, man. That's awesome. And I remember seeing you, uh, Paul Vault, man. You were. You were the best I've seen. I've been in Haven now. I'm coming up on year 20. You're the best I've ever seen.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I, I definitely I remember when I we did our what what was it? Um Demonstration instructional. Speech. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Yeah, let's go over to the track and then I saw a couple tr- couple drills over there. That it was, was awesome. That was awesome. I do
1: remember that. That was super cool. Especially for someone like me. I'm six 260. two sixty. I'm never gonna be able to do that. So. No, yeah, not the prototype. <laughs> yeah. But watching somebody, it's one of the things you know, I used to love going like I love field events. You know, obviously the running is super cool, but I love the field events. So anytime there's a, there's a summer Olympics, which, you know, everyone loves the Olympics. At least I, I like the yeah. they do. Uh, I love seeing the pole vaulters. I just think that is so unique. It's such an incredible talent. And not only do you have to be skilled, you have to be an exceptional athlete to pull that off. And you were, you were one of the very best. I think you were the best in Haven, Haven, no doubt,
0: no doubt. Oh, thank you. I really really appreciate it. It was uh, it was definitely some awesome times uh, getting to you know be an athlete and doing other things. So I'm I'm hoping to eventually get into the uh, the world where I can help some more athletes uh, reach their dreams uh, eventually. That's and, cool. It's always great. I mean, it's rewarding, and- man. It's awesome. Oh yeah, it's awesome. So um where so what are the the last uh, the last speeches that you guys have got going on um with with your your thing or how is the program? For, for your public speaking might maybe have changed a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, with, uh, you know, social distancing and quarantining and everything, um, it, it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge, especially because we're coming
0: up- Yeah, I meant like a different speeches that you might have been doing. I didn't know. If oh, was, okay. If was, yeah, tech, yeah, those ones, yeah.
1: So is, to be honest with you, I, I've had a lot of success with the same speeches that I've done for a while. The only thing I've really done is kind of tweak them a little bit and put them in situations where, um they have a little bit of added pressure, so I'll invite in colleagues. I'll invite in administrators, We're just to stand in the back of the room. Uh, there was one that we did in the auditorium. It wasn't the eulogy. We did uh, a couple demonstration speeches in there, mm-hmm. and uh, I invited tons of people from other classes. And I sent it, and I'll call out to the teachers and say, "Hey, listen, if you're you know if you're in between units and you're looking to, to kill some time with some students, let's do some cross curricular stuff. Come on into the auditorium." And get involved in these speeches and evaluate with us. So there are times that students have had to speak in front of 70, 80 people. And uh, that's that's a game changer, especially you know, after a while when you're speaking in front of your own class, you, you get into a rhythm, you get a little bit comfortable, and I want it to create a little bit more discomfort, academic discomfort. So inviting more people in did that, and it forced them to project their voices more it forces them to um, open up their shoulders in different ways because there's simply more people, and uh, that that's been a lot of fun. But the job interview is coming up. That that's how I've always ended. That's
0: a tough one. It's that's a tough, a tough one. one. It
1: is, yeah. And uh, I, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to tackle that this year. At, at this point, when it comes to new units, what I do is I use you know these these lectures on these you know social media lecture platforms. I record myself giving this lecture with the PowerPoint. I send it out to them and then we kind of do our very best to make it happen. As far as the job interview, I think what I'm going to ask the students to do, because a lot of people are going through Zoom interviews right now is help them get prepared for it. So I'm going to Zoom one on one with them, record the entire session and then share it with the class. So I'll do that 30 times, well, 60 times because I have two sections this semester and uh, Mm -hmm. I'll give them all a schedule. Interviews, we'll will keep them super short, 15 minutes, and um, it'll still give them the opportunity to, you know, to answer some difficult questions in an interview setting and also have everybody else take a look and evaluate. So um, uh, I think that's how I'll handle it. and I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I think it might work.
0: That's great uh yeah i think that's awesome like a lot most of my interviews were were just the same when i was going through the process they were they were zoom interviews or skype interviews whatever it is like it seems like that's like what's kind of like the trend nowadays oh absolutely uh, what's going on so yeah if if you can max you can you know do well with those i think it's going to really help uh, especially with those entry-level positions or or even maybe even school or colleges whatever it is oh
1: of course yeah absolutely and and you know it's 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 not as easy as you would think. You know, I, I, I've i never done an interview for a job through, through Zoom, but I know that we just hired a new principal at Haven and his final interviews were all Zoom. I know that aspiring teachers right now that are out there looking for jobs, they're on Zoom interviewing. So yeah. I've done a lot of homework on it. Um, it's not as easy as you would think, you know, simply being at home staring at your screen. Um, there's a number of things that I want to show them that they have to do to be prepared for just in case there's, you know, whether it's technical difficulties or or anything else, I just want them to have a new perspective on, on interviewing.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, that what you're, what you're doing with your class is awesome. It's definitely helped me grow to be doing something like this. I mean, I know I didn't have the confidence to, to speak in front of uh, my peers. And then after the class, you know, public speaking is now not only something I don't fear, but it's something I look forward to doing. And so it, without, I wouldn't well. have been able to get there without the class. So yeah, definitely wanted to thank you for, you know, for being a an impactful teacher. I'm
1: grateful thank for you, that. Thank yeah. you so much, Colin. I really am yeah. thankful.
0: Oh, well, no, thank you. And uh, I wanted to, uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming onto the the podcast. Uh, I definitely really appreciate it. You've, you gave us a lot of great insight and extremely fascinating stories of, you know, you and your younger years. And I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking with you again, uh, hopefully when, when the quarantine ends, maybe, uh, you know, getting a couple of uh, beverages as well. And, no doubt. and once again, thank, thanks a lot for, for, for sitting down.
1: Hey, bud, it's o- it's always a privilege talking to you. It, it's 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 The honor is all mine. So thank you. And I can't wait to see you.
0: Thanks. Same here. And uh, thanks for listening, uh, everybody. This has been the third episode of Innovators Anonymous. Uh, If you'd liked the the episode, shoot us a like, follow or subscribe. And if you'd like some more, you can find us on Instagram at innovators.anonymous. Thanks again, guys. And uh, have a good one. Peace.